take a moment to locate your worship folder while I digress briefly. I'm sure you'd understand that the scriptures were mostly written to be heard, not to be read. Someone would read aloud, other people would listen, but we'd work together in the reading aloud. And I'd like to challenge you to something during the season of Easter. Did you know that Easter had a season? The Sundays between now and Pentecost comprised the season of Easter, and in the lobby, there are some bluish-green cards that have some scripture verses on them. I'd encourage you to, for the next weeks to Pentecost, begin the practice of reading scripture aloud every day. I would encourage you to do it with your family. I've selected some passages. They're all on that blue-green card. Take enough of those blue-green cards with you for every person in your family. Find a common meeting point during your day, and that will be a miracle in itself. And read the passage aloud. We're going to model that today by reading the first scripture from the card, and it's conveniently printed on the second page of your worship folder, Psalm 95. And I'm hoping that every day this week you will find a place to read Psalm 95 aloud. Would you read it with me right now? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I hope you'll take those papers with you and read aloud through the season of Easter. The text for the sermon is John 20, 1 to 9. We already read most of it during our opening liturgy. And as I consider the importance of what these early disciples saw, what they were eyewitnesses of, and the meaning of what they saw, we recognize how important their testimony is to us. The story of Easter is wonderfully well known. In fact, I doubt there is anything I can tell you about the events of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you don't already know. You know that Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was tried by Pontius Pilate, the governor, found innocent. He was tried by Herod, the local king, found innocent. He was sent back to Pilate, who washed his hands of Jesus, Pilate hands Jesus over to the people to be crucified. Jesus was cruelly treated, beaten, humiliated, and eventually crucified. You know that crucifixion is a humiliating, horrible way to die. The manner of Jesus' death makes a statement about Jesus' willingness to identify with the most desperate among us. At the point of Jesus' death, it would be assumed by the general public that Jesus was a criminal deserving of the punishment he received, which is meant to mean there is no woman or man in subsequent history, no matter how despicable or demonic, 
who could not identify with the plight of Jesus. Jesus stooped so low that there isn't anyone he can't reach from that position. And there isn't anyone who can't reach out to him. Jesus is buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Guards are posted at the garden tomb's entrance. On Sunday morning, the tomb, the tomb is open and empty. Angels announce Jesus is risen. The disciples who have been in hiding gradually hear the news. Jesus is alive. All is not lost. The church of Jesus Christ is established. Those are the bones of the story. It's a great story. You know the story. In the same way that you know the details of the story, you probably are aware of all the implications of the story. Christians find in the resurrection of Jesus the very center of their faith. In fact, the very center of all human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to Christian that God has power over sin and death. Although death is our enemy, Jesus has conquered death. We no longer need to cower in fear before death because our hope stretches past death now all the way to our heavenly home. The resurrection of Jesus not only validates all that Christ said during his lifetime, it provides us with a model a prototype, if you will, for all of Christian humanity. We believe that we will receive new bodies just like the body Jesus got after his resurrection. Christ goes through all of the steps of life for us, before us, so that we can see what will happen to us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God intends to keep his word to us. He will never forsake us. The condensation, the condescension, condescension of Christ, leaving heaven's throne, coming to earth, living and enduring the treatment he receives at the hands of humanity, proves he loves us more than we can fathom, more than we can put into words or turn into song lyrics, our best Poetry doesn't do justice to the depths of God's love for us all. You know, I'm, I'm not certain there's much more for me to say since you know the story and you know the implications. And yet there's a difference between knowing the details and implications of a story and understanding and believing there's a difference there. Peter, the apostle, is a great example for us. Verse nine in this passage, John 29, says this specifically. Peter knew, he saw, but didn't understand. Now you knew who Peter was. Peter was a Jew. He understood that Messiah was coming. Peter had celebrated Passover many times before probably left an empty seat for Elijah, knowing that Elijah had to return before Messiah could come. In fact, Peter is the one who makes the famous proclamation when Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus is amazed at Peter's response and faith. Peter had walked on water. Peter had seen a few loaves and fish feed thousands of people. 
Peter had seen blind men see and lame men walk, dead girls raised from the dead, and Lazarus marched out of the tomb. He had been with Christ when Jesus told his disciples that he would have to suffer and die and then would rise on the third day. Peter knows all the details. Peter knows the score. Or at least you think he should have, right? And yet on that resurrection morning, when confronted with the evidence, standing at the tomb inside, he's confused. He sees, he knows, but he does not understand. His mind prevents him from putting it all together. I am so grateful that the scripture does not gloss over this fact. I might, you might expect the written record to maybe just skip this part in order to sort of burnish the reputation of one of its premier saints, right? We don't really want to know that Peter gets to the temple and he's clueless. We'd rather think of Peter as having it together, knowing right away, and yet he doesn't. Scripture's painfully honest. Here, Peter the rock just can't figure it out. He does not understand. I've often wondered, if you think back just a few weeks in Jesus' life, if that Lazarus event, you remember where Jesus is standing in front of Lazarus' tomb and Lazarus has been dead four days and Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus returns from the dead and they unwrap him from the grave clothes and he lives again. I wonder if that image is a part of God's unveiling so that the disciples have a mental category to put Jesus in when this day happens. I mean, if you've never seen anything like this before, your mind just won't let you believe it's possible. But these disciples, they had been given a mental picture of someone coming out of the grave, coming back from the dead. And in spite of that, Peter still can't put this together. He just doesn't understand. He's not the only one. I've spent spent lots of times with folks who couldn't put the pieces together. The Bible tells us candidly, the world, we humans, we don't figure out God by our own wisdom. Figuring out who God really is, well, it's not something that we can easily do. Not for a lack of trying. We create all kinds of gods with our human imagination. The world is full of gods that humans came up with in their own minds. The gods we make up make sense to us in some way. They're based on what we know. Some of them have the heads of birds and the bodies of lions. Some drive the sun across the sky and some rule the underworld or the ocean depths. We are infinitely creative about that which we do not understand, we humans. Some of us believe that God is a bright light or a warmth that we feel when we meditate. We're infinitely creative creative the more we understand about the world around us the more we think well maybe we don't need God so much we believe that maybe someday we'll have everything figured out and we won't need any God at all but secretly we know this isn't true we will never completely understand how God created we weren't there 
and we will never completely understand this human heart of ours, why is it we're so deceitful or so afraid or so prone to violence and anger? Why is it we're so greedy, so enraptured with things we ought not to have? If we're honest, we're a mystery to ourselves. Why is it so hard for us to do the good we want to do? You know, it's only our creator who can tell us the truth about ourselves, who speaks to us on the inside, who reveals ourselves to us. On a morning like this, on an Easter morning, eyewitnesses give us facts, but understanding and believing Well, that's more than just knowing, more than just perceiving the facts. In fact, understanding is more important than knowing. In this this passage in John 20, there's a great leap hidden right here in the Easter story, right here in verse eight. It's an important leap that one of the disciples makes. Everything Peter saw, John also saw. That's who the other disciple is in this narrative as we read. The other disciple, John says, meaning himself. Everything Peter saw, John saw. John was with Jesus those three years. He saw Peter walk on the water. He saw the people fed with a few fish and a few loaves. He saw the miracles. He records Lazarus coming out from the dead. He saw it all. Peter takes the evidence into mind, stares it in the face, and runs to make a report. John looks at the evidence, same thing Peter sees, and the scripture says, he believes, he understands. It all comes together in his head. The rest of the disciples will eventually believe based on the evidence of actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. This evidence will be powerfully persuasive to them, as you might imagine. But John is going to believe even before he sees Jesus risen from the dead. He's going to put the pieces together ahead of all the rest. He is going to add together the fact that, well, everything he learned in Sabbath school as a Jewish boy and all that he had gathered from Rabbi Jesus for the three years he traveled with him and, and all the events of the last several weeks and, and the miracles that he, wist, he witnessed and, and all of the compassion he saw Jesus pour out during his ministry and the words of Jesus that said, I have to die, but I'll be raised again. And, and all of the horror of the previous week, John is able I believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to weave this all together and believe. John believes and he tells us, he writes this account so that you also can believe. You know, these early disciples, you sort of think that because they were with Jesus, they had advantages. Well, actually they had more disadvantages than you might think. They don't have 2,000 years of Christian history to help them interpret what was happening that day. They don't have the teachings of scholars and apostles and pastors and disciples across generations to instruct them concerning what they're seeing. 
somehow John is able to believe and I think it's because of the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah of God and the Holy Spirit enables John to believe that Jesus really is raised from the dead just as Jesus promised. And once you understand the implications of the details you see in front of you, you can move from knowing to understanding to believing. It's great to know the details. It's cool to understand what the details mean. But nothing changes in our lives until we get all the way to believing. Mary's at the tomb early in the morning. She's come to prepare the body for burial. Imagine the trauma of what she has seen, watching someone treat a person they loved in such a humiliating and degrading way with nothing she could do to stop it. She's overwhelmed with grief, so overwhelmed that even though she sees Jesus standing right beside her, she doesn't recognize him. Her mind, weighed down and burdened with grief, doesn't have the categories to figure out who this gardener fellow could actually be. But then the gardener speaks and the barriers in her mind crumble as she recognizes the master who she has served. And then she also believes. When Jesus speaks, all the pain, the confusion, the chaos, his voice cuts through all of that junk. And we finally have the chance to believe. Peter's going to meet Jesus again. They will talk, Peter will get instructions, Peter will understand, Peter will also believe. You know, the timing of believing isn't all that important as long as you get to the place of believing. And this morning, you have the opportunity to meet Jesus as well. In spirit, he's here with us. You might sense him speaking in your mind already. If you will take the step to acknowledge who he is and invite him to be a part of your life, things will change. Things will change. The grace he brings is always transforming grace. There are always two sides to every Christian cardboard testimony. He brings transforming grace. And more than anything else, Jesus wants to love you to the point of seeing you free and transformed by his grace. He wants to see you changed from fearful to confident. He wants to see you changed from being threatened to being comforted. He wants to see you changed from being selfish to being truly concerned for others. He wants to see you changed from violent to peaceful. He wants you... He wants you to change from just being concerned about your own family to being concerned about all the families around you. He wants to see you change from being pessimistic to being hopeful. He wants to see you change from nervous and fretful to a heart filled with joy and peace and fulfillment. He wants you to make a difference in the world. He wants to make you victorious over sin and death and hell. And that is exactly why Easter is a party. We celebrate the changes that Jesus has made in us. We tie those changes 
to the actions he undertook for us on this day so many years ago. And we believe that understanding the events and the implications of all that he did anchors our belief in him. And we believe that he did those very things for us, for you and for me. Will you receive the gift of Easter today? Will you choose to believe? Those who are being baptized, those who are being baptized has, have made that choice. I encourage you, as you watch these five being baptized, if you have already been baptized, remember the vows you made in your baptism. If you have never been baptized, take these moments to listen for the voice of Jesus. Choose to believe that he has been raised from the dead. Decide to follow him. And then give me a call so that we can schedule your baptism. May the Lord bless you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he grant you his peace. And may he fill you with joy overflowing. Remember your baptism. Amen.